We are so glad that you're here today. We are in part three of this series called Rhythm, and we are covering basics like breathing and thirsting, and today we're covering walking, and then next week working, and then after that, boy, we need to cover resting. And so those are the rhythms, and they're rhythms of our physical bodies, but we learn spiritual truths so deeply when we look at what they're teaching us, and so we're jumping into this topic of walking today. Now, today's topic may not go in the direction that you might expect as we talk about walking, and in fact, it is one of those topics that is um, both comforting and challenging, and that's something that uh, is common in teaching. It's one of the challenges I have as a teacher that I have to remember that I'm bringing both a message of grace and a message of truth, and sometimes there's challenge when that truth comes our direction. Just look at the lives of any of the teachers of the Bible, and you'll see that taking place, particularly Jesus, very good at bringing comfort to those who are challenged and challenge to those who are comfortable. So with that idea, I just want to ask a couple of questions. That I'll, I will not embarrass you, so feel free to raise your hand. How many of you are challenged right now and would love to hear a message of comfort? You're challenged right now and would love to hear a message of comfort. Great. How many of you are comfortable and love to hear a message of challenge? Great. How many of you are comfortable and would love to be more comfortable? That's me. Comfortable, give me more message of comfort. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Actually, if that's where you're coming from, that's not an option today. Uh, We tend to want to stay comfortable and to continue to be even more comfortable, and frequently Jesus doesn't leave us such an option, and the apostles challenge us to keep moving forward, to take steps, to walk And so that's kind of sets the tone for where we're going with this topic today as we're talking about walking. But I'm going to just ask you, are you ready to be challenged or comforted? Both or either. Two of you, okay, I'm going to preach right to the two of you right here who answered. I just want to try again. Anybody here ready to be challenged or comforted? Okay. Now, that's the great buildup, and now I want to just let you down. And the letdown is this, that um, although I'm building you up to, let's be challenged, let's be comforted, I'm going to start with a very picky-uni topic, a very picky-uni, insignificant thing that, um, why would you even begin with the picky-uni? Why are you keep using that word picky-uni? It's just so minuscule, and yet I think it's really important. It's a translation issue. And you can't avoid this translation issue, but I wish that the word is more literally rendered so we can get this idea across. So here's what I want to get at, all right? So the translation of this word, peripateo, is the picayune issue that I'm going to just kind of set before us. Bear with me if you're not into word studies. Peripateo is the Greek for the word walk, That's the literal way to translate it, walk. It literally means to tread around. Peri, as in perimeter, around, right? Tread around. And uh, walk would be the normal way to translate it if you're being pretty literal with it because it's used for literally when people are physically walking, walking with Jesus on a road or walking from one place to another, they would use this word. But we find it frequently used in the Bible more figuratively to 
get across the idea of this walking as a way of life. So we call it the Christian walk or walking with Jesus, okay? But when you're translating, you have to decide which way you kind of aim in the readers. And so I just want to say a lot of translations, you wouldn't even know that they're translating peripateo because they will translate it out live. And I think we miss something when we translate it out live. And I want to show you that a little bit. And so just by way of example, I'm going to quickly just read and put both walk and live side by side. So I don't even need to put which translation it is, but I'm, the walk is a CSB. Romans 6.4 says, so we too may walk in newness of life. You heard me even quote it um, in the baptism video. To raised up and walk in newness of life is, is straight from Romans 6.4. Romans 8.4, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ also loved us. Now you will find translations of all of these verses with the word live. Um, and none of the translators are 100% consistent with always translating peripateo walk because it's a little stiff when you do it that way. But I want to raise that because point number one, it takes steps to walk. And if you just say, so we too may live in newness of life, you don't see that there's steps involved. Uh, walk according to the flesh, or don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You don't realize there's steps and cadence and all that kind of thing. And so I have on the screen some of the things we miss out of all of these are translated live. So the word live by itself doesn't convey the idea of taking steps, walking on a path, making persistent progress in a particular direction, or the idea of rhythm or pace. So if you just translate it out, live, 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 you're going to miss out on all of the nuances of the word that carry that with it, just by the use of that word, those nuances. Now some of you say, okay, so what? And I know I get that. Because I really don't want to take the English translation out of your hands because you're not Greek scholars yourself. Uh, but even English uh, readers can take advantage of uh, parallel translations and you can do it for free. If you have a smartphone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, which many of you do, I don't know if you know it, you can do a compare feature on any verse. It's really quick. Reading a verse, hit that verse with your finger, it'll underline the verse, and it'll bring up this drop or it's not drop down, it's lift up menu. <laughs> and the lift up menu has all these different options. And one of the options is compare. Then you can pick and choose the translations to compare that particular verse. That's a great tool that we English readers can quickly get some quick comparisons and you can compare how the translators will. So if you run into an English word, they go, huh, that's a, that's a puzzler. Hit, use that tool and it's a great thing to help you. So it takes steps to walk. Now, if you're ready to be challenged and comforted, we're going to run into this rather rapidly, how the Apostle John will juxtapose between challenge and comfort. Boom, boom, boom. It's like back and forth. And it's like, whoa. 
it really is interesting, and I just kind of bring that out as he then finishes this particular section that I'm going to read with the challenge to us to walk like Jesus walked, okay? So let's take a look at this comfort and this challenge from the Apostle John. This is late in his life in the little letter, not the gospel, and he's writing kind of to uh, Christians and there's every kind of Christian there, that, that, those Christians that need to be comforted and those Christians that need to be challenged, okay? First John, starting at chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Okay, so there's a challenge right there. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's comfort. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's a challenge. If you have that attitude like, I've arrived, I don't need to keep walking, I don't need to make changes, I don't need to make adjustments, I've already got this, liar. There's a challenge. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's comfort. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Well, challenge. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Comfort. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Comfort. So if you're feeling really, really challenged, because I'm going to be hitting some particular issues that are tough for us to deal with in our culture today, and if you're really challenged by that later, remember we just read, hey, he died for all of those sins. He died for you to bring you comfort and bring you out of shame. If you feel really, really stuck right now in a pattern of sin, here's the comfort. He can make you unstuck, and he can bring freedom, and he can set you free. We just sang a song about that. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So, that is a challenge. Now, what I want to point out, first of all, is, is that there are key words here that John used over and over, and I read it so quickly, you wouldn't even notice key words because it's throughout his letter, words like truth and words like no. And what's really interesting is that the way we view truth and the way we view the word no is we always relegate those words to what happens up here. We, in our head, we know and understand the truth, and we know something. We got it up here. 
And John quickly changes that with the challenge. He says, you don't know. You don't know that you know Jesus if all you have is a truth up here. He, he quickly challenges that and he says, you can't just call this a truth or a knowing. And so to kind of get that put together here, um, here's a little quote that I cobbled together. You don't really know a truth until you keep taking steps in it. He says, if you say you know the truth and you say you know and you believe the truth and you're not keeping the commandments of Jesus, liar, you don't really know the truth because the truth is not really in you. That's the challenge that he's saying. He's saying to know the truth and say you believe this truth and know him and know this truth, it's going to come through. You're keeping his commands and you're walking with him. It's going to come out the way you live because that's the nature of know and that's the nature of truth. If you are only reading the Bible to know and understand more knowledge and have it put together, then you don't really know what no means. You don't really know what truth is about. According to not just the Apostle John, but all of the leaders of the movement of Jesus. Jesus, John, the Apostles, and that kind of thing. So it was verse 4 where it says, The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That was verse 4. Liar! Now, in the old West days, that was, I mean, I've seen a lot of Westerns. Have you? Liar! That's the next thing that happens is boom! Right? You're going to draw your gunslinger, I mean, your gunslinger to pull it. You, the word of the man is the most important thing. You attack the word of the man, boom! Ba -ba -ba boom! Gun smoke is in the air and the liar is dead. Or the one who said he's a liar is dead potentially dead. And yet, this is so serious that John is going to pull that one and, and literally challenge us to rethink where we're at if, on the one hand, we say, I know Jesus, and on the other hand, we look pretty much like an unbeliever. According to the latest Barna research, which is always discouraging for me to read as a pastor, is that the Barna Research Institute is just doing these random surveys of very detailed questions among those. At first they asked, do you claim to be a born-again Christian? And where are you at in your faith kind of thing? And then they start comparing these answers and what they come up with, because there's no reason to lie on all of these different uh, anonymous surveys. The person who claims to be a born-again Christian pretty much in America lives a life that's very, very similar with the person who is an atheist or an unbeliever. And that should not be. Something is wrong with our view of believing and knowing the truth. You want to know if you know Jesus? This is this whole section. Do you want to know if you know Jesus? You have been set free by the Spirit of God to be able to live in that freedom, walking with Jesus as Jesus walked. If you're having trouble there, he gives you all the information you need to be comforted and to be set free and to learn how to get back on that path and walk that way. But for some reason in America, we've got this, I believe this about the gospel, and I believe I'm forgiven, and therefore, that's what it means. I just confess, and then I keep going and walking on the wrong path, going in the opposite direction. And that's troublesome. 
And so if that's us, we need to be challenged with harsh and strong words to rethink, do we really know that we know? Do we really know the truth in a transforming, releasing way that we're taking steps and moving from where we used to be and you can see those changes taking place in our lives. And that's why our whole purpose as a church is to help people take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. And we're not done yet. None of us are. We need to keep growing in more and more love with Jesus where our lives look more and more like him. And they will never look exactly like him in godliness until he returns and we see him face to face. But you should be able to see these changes. People close to you should be able to see these changes. And that's where the comfort and the challenge is going to be kind of revolving around. So the next quote is, truth is visibly lived. If you, don't, if you want to know if somebody is a real Christian, don't just ask them what they believe. Look at how they live. All these supposed people that says, yes, I'm a born-again Christian, they're probably defining it based on some past act in their life and what's going on in their head in assessing whether there is a God and whether Jesus died for them. But there's a disconnect between their head and their life and so visibly there's no difference. And John says, liar. And it's not up to me to judge and decide where that person is. That's up to God. But every one of us liars needs to look at our lives and decide what are we going to do with that and begin to walk more like Jesus. That's the point of this walk. It's a rhythm, it's step by step, and it's on a path, and it's got a direction, and it can't be walking in that direction and say you're a Christian when Jesus is walking that direction. That's why we say followers say, follow me. Some people say, don't don't follow me, follow Jesus. The reason they say that is because they're not following Jesus. That's why they can't say, follow Jesus. If you're following Jesus, it's easy to say, follow Jesus. Do what what I do. It works. And then you start talking about what's working and you're excited about it, okay? Point number two, keep your eyes on the way. The book of Acts describes the explosive movement of the church and it was first called the way. And you'll see that repeated through the book of Acts. Look for it. It, The movement was called the way. It's called the way, it makes sense. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the whole movement is called the way. And because a particular person described how to live this way, and it's a particular path, a particular way of living, a particular lifestyle that he lived that we are to live as well as we walk as Jesus walked. Okay? So keep your eyes on the way. Peter said it this way in his letter, 1 Peter 2.21, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That you should follow in his steps. I want to uh, recommend a book to you. It's an old book. Um, here it is. It's In His Steps. It's by Charles Sheldon, written in 1896. I read it as a young man in my early 20s, I think, possibly earlier than that. It's sold more than 50 million copies. 
It's still in print today. It may not look like this cover. I just grabbed this one off of Amazon. It might have different covers and looks. But that particular book is a novel that a preacher wrote that was describing a church, so it's fiction, describing a church that decided to take a vow that they're going to, at every decision point in their life, they're going to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Maybe you've seen the, the bracelets that people wore, the WWJD. That's where that came from, this novel that's this old. And that when you ask, what would Jesus do? You're not asking, okay, I'm going to do whatever Jesus did, so I'm going to go preach in the churches and stand up and disrupt churches and preach the truth. You know, no, not what would you do if you were Jesus. The question is, what would Jesus do if Jesus were you? Okay? So you're not going to go around casting out demons and whatever necessarily. It's more like if you're a truck driver, what would Jesus do if he was a truck driver? What kind of a truck driver would he be? And how would he interact with the people that are the fellow truck drivers and at truck stops and whatever else? You're asking those kinds of questions until Jesus, if Jesus moves you out of that to something else. Then if he's that, what would, what would you do? So those are the kinds of questions. But the point of all of this is that the apostles preachers, leaders, Jesus, everybody is agreeing on the same thing. It's not just what you know and the truth. It's about how it is showing up in your life, in his steps is what it's about, okay? And so the next uh, quote is this, believing, knowing, and doing go together. You can't even answer the question, what would Jesus do if you're not familiar with what Jesus did, if you're not familiar with Jesus's, the what makes him tick, what makes him think like he thinks, what is his life purpose, and I need to make my life purpose his life purpose, and now that I'm in my field, how do I make that life purpose, which is Jesus' life purpose, my life purpose? And I have to ask good questions like that too. As a preacher, what would I do given the church of this circumstance and the time constraints that that causes me to be in I can't do certain things that Jesus did to be in this church, which is interesting, but I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> All right. Point number three. The way is not vague. Now, if you thought you were challenged before, <clears throat> hold on to your seat. First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8 reads this way. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live, now here the CSB translated peripateo, live, but this is the word walk, okay? Just as you have received instruction from us on how you should walk, and to please God. So how you should walk, how you should live, we should make it our aim to please God in everything that we do. So it's our aim. Our life purpose becomes, becomes the purpose of pleasing God. It determines our path, our steps, our direction, because our whole aim is to please God. So we need to know from God what it means to please God, and we make that our aim, and that's how we walk, and those are the steps we take. Okay? So know, believe, and do all work together to form out a visible truth in our life. Okay? And then 
as you are doing, do this even more. I like the ESV that translates, do this more and more, because it reminds me of walk more and more and more and more. It's just steps, 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 more and more. Notice our walk is aimed at pleasing God. Verse 2, for you know that what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is God's will. So if our aim is to please God, we need to know God's will. And then we make his will, his design for our lives, our path. So we live on his design, his will, his path as described. And it's interesting, and I believe that when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he felt a lot of the same frustrations that I feel when I read the Barna report. Because here's what he says. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Now, here's the thing about that phrase. Most people read that phrase and they automatically define it according to what they think is inbounds or out of bounds, according to their culture, according to their upbringing according to their own feelings, according to the determinations of the parameters that they set for their own lives. And a lot of people, and I'm telling you particularly as one who has been in youth ministry prior to being in this position, youth growing up in our culture even 30 years ago, they couldn't define sexual immorality the way God does. And I'm finding that today, it's worse. Far, far worse the boundaries are confusing. What's inbounds? What's out of bounds? Who decides? And yet, all of us, I would, I would dare say all of us agree there needs to be boundaries to sexual expression. Otherwise, it would be really, really uncomfortable if some people started doing something in here we didn't like and there was no boundaries. There's boundaries. Almost everybody agrees that rape is out of bounds because it's so damaging and destructive and just devastates a life, not just for a moment, right? And so there are boundaries. But then you start saying, well, what are these boundaries precisely and who decides? Do we decide? Does our culture decide? Does the modern world decide? And realize, even in our world today, what Americans agree on sexually is not what the Arab countries agree on sexually. So which culture, which boundaries, which government decides? And I say none of this is relevant if I'm talking to believers. We do not decide. God, who is the designer of sex, decides. He decides what's out of bounds for sex and what's in bounds for sex. And the word here that I just read, sexual immorality in the Greek, and I'm not just trying to go off on something here, but in the Greek is the word porneia. It's sex out of bounds. Pornography is the graphic version of sex out of bounds. Prostitution is sex out of bounds. We think in our culture that as long as two people aren't hurting each other and they're consenting, it's, it's okay. And all the movies say it's okay because the music is good. The violins are playing. But it's adultery. And we're going along with it because the other person is so mean. It's like, it's out of bounds. 
by God's design, it's out of bounds. Because, and we, we don't even know the English. It used to be that young people in the day before coming here, they didn't know English. They didn't know what the word fornication meant. But then I realized nobody knows that English word anymore. Fornication means sex before marriage or outside of marriage. It's out of bounds, according to God. Okay? And so as we're talking about these uh, boundaries, about immoral, immoral or moral, inbounds or out of bounds, uh, let's keep reading because it gets pretty specific. It's, God is just not vague about it. Verse 4 talking about sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Consequently, Anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So if your boundary markers for how you determine is sex okay for me, if it doesn't line up with God's boundary markers, you're out of bounds. And God will not bless that, not bless you in the boundaries you're setting for yourself. And Jesus makes those boundaries not just behavior, but thoughts, and so our thoughts and behaviors need to be pleasing to God according to the boundaries that God sets forth. And interestingly enough, the Old Testament and the New Testament are in complete agreement over this. There's no controversy, and yet we've made it a controversy. You know why? We don't believe that God designed it. We don't believe that God defined it. We don't believe God's boundary markers. We want to choose for ourselves. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not hurting anybody, so you think, but you are if you're out of bounds. So we know how it hurts people when it's out of bounds. We know how adultery destroys families. We know how when you have sex within bounds, God made it beautiful, so beautiful when it's described in some of the books that kept it away from people under 30. I won't tell the under 30 crowd which book that is. You'll want to go there and read it. The Song of Solomon. Um, and so on and so forth. It's just beautiful inbounds between two people, man and woman, des marriage designed by God when it's inbounds and reserved for beauty. When sex spills out of bounds, it's like the beautiful fire in the fireplace spilling out of the fireplace onto the hardwood floor. It's no longer beautiful. It sets the house on fire and is destructive. And God is not vague. If you want to see how not vague he is, read Leviticus chapter 18. When's the last time you read Leviticus? Read Leviticus chapter 18. It's detail after detail after detail about out-of-bounds sex. And with all of those details, there's a preamble before he gets into it. He says, you may not view these parameters by the boundaries that the Egyptians had in their culture, nor will you live like those that lived in the Canaan land where you are where I'm taking you. Not like that culture where I'm taking you and not like the culture I took you out of. And he says this to us, don't live out the culture you are in. 
live according to the culture that I create within a sub-community that decides we are followers of Jesus. We're on a path, and it looks like the path that Jesus described, and it's within these boundaries, and I picked the adult version of this. Children's Church is dealing with a different topic, just to let you know, as they're talking about what it looks like to walk with Jesus. A different challenge for children. I don't even know which specifics. But I realized that as he's talking about walking the walk, this is how the apostles dealt with it in their day. And we must deal with it in ours. The last quote that I have for you is, Temptation in its purest form is a lie disguised as a promise of fulfillment. And a friend of mine, as we met together this week, uh, quoted that from memory, and then we tried to look it up and see who said it, and we, we were unsuccessful at see, seeing where it originated from. I've added uh, more to that quote just to kind of describe the realities a bit. Lies don't deliver what they promise. Lies destroy. Jesus said, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. And yet, according to Barna research, those who claim to be Christian are not experiencing the Christian walk as they're walking in the pattern of this world. And Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice and honor God with your bodies. Make your own sexuality his domain. Please him with every decision about life. But I'm picking some of the hard ones. And so let me just ask you if this is a comfort to you or if this is a challenge to you, don't answer out loud. To tell you the truth, most of us have failed already as we come to this stage of life with our thought life or with our action life and we need the comfort of God, which we read at the beginning those of you who have failed in these areas, God is faithful to forgive you if you confess it before him. Jesus is our advocate. He covers over your sin. But don't walk away saying, I'm forgiven. I'm going to go do it again. That is a lie. And the truth is not in you. The challenge is to keep giving everything about you, your whole body, your spirit and soul, mind, will, and emotions, to honor God and allow his life to be walked and lived through you and you're walking step for step with Jesus and everybody can see the truth that you're living because you are different. You don't watch the same stuff that everybody else is watching. You're not saying the same stuff that everybody else is saying. You are different. And you have joy right now and I don't see that a lot. We need to be challenged and comforted to be set free and live there and give glory and honor to the one who loved us so much. He makes this possible for even our messed up lives. Let's offer him our messes so that our very lives can become his message of change, transformation, good news for those we talk to. Jesus will set you free. So just to summarize, point number one, it takes steps to walk. Point number two, keep your eyes on the way. Jesus is the way. And step number three, 
The way is not vague. It's very specific. Don't let these boundaries become gray. It's very specific, very clear, nothing clear, unclear about sexual purity before God. Read Leviticus 18. And the entire New Testament. Oh, just read the Bible. Would you pray with me? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us what it looks like to walk with you. Jesus showed us. And now he helps us as we walk in his steps. We need your spirit to do this. Help us to just enjoy the glory of it as life becomes blessed by you when we let you determine the path of our feet. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're struggling in any way, and don't let this be the day. I'm not going to go out that prayer team because he was just talking about, no. Whatever it might be you need prayer about, go to their prayer team to the left of the stage. We'd be happy to pray for you. See you next week as we talk about the rhythm of working. <laughs>